I tell people that you want views, that's all you care about, great. I can have you a million views by tomorrow. Just give me $10,000. I'll have a million views for you by tomorrow. As long as you don't mind that all of those views are from gamers in the developing world. And then somebody says, oh, well, actually I want them to be you in the US and I want them to be people who are potentially customers. Okay, so you don't want just views. And it's time for the Video Marketing Value Podcast. My name is Dane Golden from the Video Marketing Business Academy. I'm here with Gwen Miller from Hearst. Welcome, Gwen. Hi, thanks for having me, Dane. And I'm here with Shelly from Shelly Saves the Day. Hello, everyone. Happy Thursday. And Gwen Miller, what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, you know, I wasn't really listening, Dane, so I'm no, actually no, not sure. None of, none of us were. Shelly, what are we going to be talking about today? We, today we are talking about how all views on YouTube are not created equal. That's right. They're they're totally just a view is not a view. It can be mean many, many things. And sometimes and more views, more problems. <laughs> that's what it should really. So we're going to, you know, that's the unofficial name. Mo views, mo problems. Sound good? Let's jump right in. Are all YouTube views created equal? Because we think they're not. We think that not all YouTube views are created equal. I'm Dane Golden. I'm from the video marketing. Uh, I don't even know what I'm from. I'm from someplace and I'm here with Shelly Saves the Day. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to see everyone. And I'm here with Gwen Miller. Welcome, Gwen. Hey, Dane. Glad to be here as always. So are all YouTube views the same? Shelly saves the day. Absolutely not. No. Okay, we can all go home. Good night, everybody. Of course, the same time we're done. Thank you very much. Topic <laughs> Thank you ten. and good night. Right. <laughs> I'm going to say not? no, because if you Why think not? about it, um, you know, depending on who your target demographic is, who your ideal customer is, let's say you're a US-based uh, bakery shop and all you can do is ship locally within your state, having a whole bunch of international viewers just because they like your product, not the best for you if you, what you're trying to do is grow a business. If you're trying to build brand awareness, sure, but that's not going to be the same for you if what you need to do is move units. I, um, I tell people that, you know what? You want views? That's all you care about? Great. I can have you a million views by tomorrow. Just give me $10,000. I'll have a million views for you by tomorrow. As long as you don't mind that all of those views are from gamers in the developing world, because we can get you those views. And then somebody says, oh, well, actually, I want them to be you in the US and I want them to be people who are potentially customers and people in my you know, general demographic that, that I'm shopping. Oh, okay, so you don't want just views. Uh, Gwen Miller, what what's more important? Is views the most important metric or some other uh -huh. thing? I mean, look, uh, to kind of piggyback off what you were just saying, one of the things that I also think people don't really realize is scale when it comes to certain of these demographics. Like we are so used to 
the idea of viral videos and Mr. V's video getting 50 million views. So that seems to be what success is. But when you're talking about some of these more, more niche categories, like there is just not 50 million like train enthusiasts in the world <laughs> to get your video 50 million views. So if you're really niche is the train enthusiast group, I like how TV used to do it. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the rating points they would use, which was always a percentage of essentially households. So it was like, of my of, of my audience, what percentage am I reaching? And I really like that. I wish we had something more analogous to that in digital, right? So that you could say, hey, of the target audience I'm going after, there is maybe 500,000 of them in the US who are probably, that are my target customer. And this video got, you know, 50,000 views. I mean, that is practically like a Mr. Beast video in this world. And it might be more than a Mr. Beast video in this world. And so knowing kind of, you know, your reach into your target audience is so important for your mental health when it comes to looking at the type of content content we're talking here, which is business content, to have the expectation that your business video is going to be a Mr. Beast video is just going to set your entire type of, you know, uh, YouTube strategy at a disadvantage from the beginning, because you're never going to be satisfied with what are awesome results in the end. So views you can still use as long as you benchmark them correctly. And then yes, looking at a holistic picture of your data, rather than just being like, I just want a million views. And that's all I care about. And, and we're talking about organic views here, meaning not paid views that result from an ad. But just as a result, you know, just thinking about it from a paid perspective, if you could have the ideal viewer and only the ideal viewer, we, when we've done ads in the past, so our particular channel caters to marketers. And so one of the things that I was thinking is, well, where are the marketing professionals in the world? You know, before two, two years ago, before the diaspora of people to work remotely all over the world, but we looked it up and there was like a top 10 list of like the top 10 most cities with the most marketers. And there was, you know, I, I can't remember it offhand, but let's say it was Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Denver, Minneapolis, Chicago, um, Dallas, Houston, New York, Boston, DC, and Atlanta. So mm -hmm. for some things I would just, you know, narrow by demographics and age group and gender and so forth when I was appealing to one group mm -hmm. or another. But also I would just place ads in those particular areas because we are just interested in marketers. Some businesses are just interested in home buyers. Some people are mm -hmm. just interested in people who want to do, um, want to have, you know, nicer homes, better cars, a more beautiful lifestyle, whatever the case is, mm -hmm. not everyone is part of your, of your audience and you should exclude people. Let's, let's ask Shelly, who was someone that probably is not going to enjoy your videos? Well, apparently tons of people, but no, no, <laughs> I'm not talking about trolls. I'm just talking, I'm not talking about trolls. I'm talking about you know, who's, who's not, who, who watches your video and they're like, oh, I don't really get much from this. 
Yeah. People who watch my videos that would not enjoy me are people who don't enjoy um, having an opinionated lady. People mm -hmm. who is, you know, are going to maybe give to you straight and not um, coddle you. So if you're someone who's an excuse giver, if you're someone who's like, I need the warm hug, um, that's not me. And mm -hmm. it, it's taken me many years to be like, that's not who I, I don't want the very first time person who just needs that warm hug. It has nothing but encouragement. And then even if they trip and fall, expect someone to look up and be like, but wow, you did a step. That's not the person who would enjoy my content. <laughs> yeah. And, and for us, you know, we don't want folks that are, you know, that we don't like them. They're, they're great people, but a lot of people wanting to grow their channel are people who are influencers in the gaming space in the beauty space, in the tech space, we're actually not targeting towards them. We're targeting towards the companies that make the, the products themselves and wanna do their own channels, which is a much smaller niche, but that's who we're interested, or you have, you're a SaaS platform, that type of thing. But if you're an influencer, our stuff really, it's not, you can learn for something from it, but it's not geared towards you. I would, I would ask, um, I would ask you, Gwen, who is not a good viewer for a lifestyle type of video? So here, so here's the thing. So uh, one of the things that we are really focusing on in the last year or so is making sure that each of our brands has a very clear target audience, right? So if you think of the Hearst portfolio of brands, you can picture pretty easily if I say, if I say the name Men's Health, you can kind of easily picture what my demo is, right? If I say good housekeeping, the it's pictures the on the, the demo, right? We know what's on men, who the group is for men's health because they're pictured on the front of the magazine. Correct. At, you know, 17, the same thing. Cosmos, the same thing. So we have that advantage that we very clearly have a picture of who the target audience should be. And when people come to our brands, they also have a very specific picture of who our target audience should be. And what we've been working on very closely is because for a while there, we were getting a bit muddied. We were oh. we were we were having, you know, essentially we were just throwing stuff up there to get views. And we didn't pay any attention if it made sense for the right target audience for that brand. And so now we're really working hard to develop those tar audiences into the audience you would expect to have on this this channel, right? So for example, on uh, you know, on my uh, on Cosmo, like if I have a video that's suddenly oh, it's mostly 50-year-old guys coming into, I have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. That you know, I need to I actively will not do uh, invite the, the whoever the talent was in that video back. It obviously did not work for that audience. Similarly with like Esquire, if we're putting some, something up there and it's mostly, you know, women coming in, that's not the Esquire brand and we know, okay, maybe this actor skewed a little too, you know, that the show they're in it has a more female audience and maybe that's the next time we book that talent on Cosmo instead of Esquire, right? So it really is in a lot of cases, knowing who your target audience is and making sure you're making your content cohesively for that specific audience. It'll help you grow holistically. It's not like being like, I don't like men or I, I don't like women. It's just, if you're seeing a seesawing in your demographics, it indicates you're bringing multiple audiences to that channel. And the problem here is it can kind of 
pull down the growth of the entire channel because YouTube is looking at those click-through rates. So if someone watches one of your videos and is like, yes, this is a great video, let's go, YouTube's going to be great. I'm going to show you another video from this channel the next time you log in. Then you look at that, it's, it's not for you, it's for a totally different audience, you're less likely to click on it. And then, so then YouTube is like, oh, this must not be, you know, you must have less interest in this channel. So if you see, if you have a 50, 50% audience of two different, like two vastly different demographics that are only coming in for half the videos and half the other videos, you might have problems long-term. And this, let me make it clear. You can have channels that have 50% female, 50% male. I'm not saying that as long as that same audience is coming in for every single video. It's when you have half your videos attracting a certain type of audience, half your videos attracting another type of audience that you get this CTR dichotomy that just makes your, your, your channel stagnate. So you're saying that even if you are um, getting tons and tons of views and it's a big channel, you still have a niche. You still have one group that you're really looking to, to bring in and one group that you're actually sort of hoping won't show up in a way. Most of the time, like, you know, there's very few channels that are really the universal channels that are trying to be all things to all people. That's a very tough road to hoe and to keep people interested. And usually they're not quite as, you know, dedicated. Like to Shelly's point, like Shelly has a very distinct POV. Mm -hmm. Shelly is not for everyone, but because Shelly's not for everyone, the people who love Shelly love Shelly because she's not bland. She's not just the regular shtick you can get anywhere on the platform. No, she's distinct. not. <laughs> right? Shelly's a little spicy. Yes, she's <laughs> the spicy version. Spicy. <laughs> and Shelly saves the day. Let's talk about the different types of content and how they might have different views. So we might have a, a YouTube view on a standard YouTube video, a live stream, a short, uh, an ad, a stories. Yeah. Are they the same view? Is a view on one the same as a view on another in terms of value, duration, how you go about getting those views? Absolutely not. I would say that a live stream view is usually sometimes the analytics and statistics would say a live stream viewer is going to watch for five times longer in duration than a normal video on demand because the people already maybe know, like, and trust you and they are there more for you and personality and they're willing to invest more time. There's also this, um, you know, titillating moment that happens when you speak and interact with people. So they like that. If someone is just coming across you in a feed of shorts, most of the time um, you are being served up shorts from people you don't know. So it could be someone's very first interaction with you and about 15 seconds is all they're going to be able to stand of you or they're going to huh. swipe or whatever else it is, you know? So that's absolutely like that view is not the same as like a live stream viewer who already knows you enough to probably um, come in. Now, live stream is usually not to attract new audiences. It's usually to nurture the existing ones that you have. So you really have to either extrapolate some of those pieces and take them and turn them into a video on demand. That's a very short question answer type of thing. You have to um, like find them through a video on demand, probably through search or something um, related. So not all the views are at all 
um, equal. And then stories are something even separate because someone already has to want to come to your channel and intentionally right. click on your story to be able to view it. So that is more of those behind the scenes, like Instagram stories type of things. And people actually have to be interested in you as a person. So um, they're all different, all different. Dane, Dane, can we talk about the funnel? <laughs> the funnel yeah let's talk the about funnel. the funnel let's talk about so, what first of all what is the funnel so all right so picture you know if you're familiar with marketing we have something called the funnel right which is kind of the path that a customer or in this case a viewer goes down with you and in this case your content right so the top of the funnel would be getting people to realize you exist right you have to lead the horse to water and you have to realize what sort of things are good at that right so like Shelly said like shorts are probably you know, top of the funnel sort of stuff. And you have to realize that like, you're not going to get a lot of dedicated watch time. It's not going to drive that deep engagement. You may feel like you're not getting a ton of success at it, but what you are getting is exposure to people who wouldn't have exposure to you at all. Then you kind of come down into the, and remember how a funnel goes. So the top is always the widest, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, you know, the most people, remember it's the total population up there of, of people that, that could possibly then convert. And then hopefully you're converting some of the, those top of funnel people into being a repeat watcher or what we call a returning viewer of the rest of your content. So now you're like in the middle of the funnel to Shelly's point, like live is near the bottom of the funnel. That is something that you're super fans that people are like, you know, I want to hang out with Shelly uh, and Gwen and Dane and have a conversation with them, but it's always going to be a lesser portion of that population, which is why people can sometimes get depressed about lives too, because it, if it, it, it they rarely ever perform as well as video on demand but you got to remember they're a different part of that funnel they're a way to really engage with your your core loyal f fan base and they don't need to be getting the numbers that your your say your core videos are getting now i'm going i'm going to ask this question of shelly save the day shelly okay you're looking at two videos on totally different channels maybe even they're on roughly the same topic. They both have 10,000 views. Were they worth the same to that uh, channel? It depends. <laughs> what does it depend it, it, on? It always, it depends, right? Um, what was the call to action? What was the measurable piece of success afterwards? Did they get onto an email list? Did they get sold something? Did they um, click somewhere? Did they purchase something? Did they, like, what was it? Um, if it's just views and they both had it in the same time frame, then we're gonna go to the next layer in that echelon and be like, hey, what else? What else did it do? What else, you know, did it, did they take a whole bunch of surveys? Did they, I mean, how did it move the needle in some other way? So I'm always going to come back with need more input. Mm -hmm. need more, need more. And, and, and one of the things I'm going to ask Gwen, so Gwen, the metric queen, the YouTube analytics guru, maven, top star. Okay, so I've got two videos. One of them is going to have a certain click-through rate. One of them is going to mm -hmm. have views in relation to how big their subscribe, their actor subscriber base is. Mm -hmm. One of those videos also is going to have a super, maybe a super long audience retention. Mm -hmm. 
and one is going to have just a few seconds of retention. Tell me how, by looking at some of those metrics, how we could tell if this video and the views are coming from are actually good or not in terms of growing the viewership of that video and that channel. Yeah. So here is kind of my rule of thumb. You can actually tell pretty quickly uh, by looking at two metrics that I am such a big proponent since they've come out, which is returning viewers and new viewers. Oh. Here's the tricky thing with those two two metrics, right? I mean, they're pretty clear what they are, right? So returning uh, new no, viewers I'm are... No, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Glenn. <laughs> I... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you spent a whole podcast explaining these to me, returning <laughs> and new viewers. I still don't understand them. They are not clear what they I will are. I'll give you the 20 Keep second explaining. version. Keep explaining. Yeah. So I'll though. give you the 20 second version. So new new viewers is pretty clear. This person hasn't seen your channel before. They actually define that as they haven't seen your channel in the past year. And then returning viewers, someone who has seen your channel in the past year. So you're kind of getting at these loose categories, which is someone who's familiar with you, someone who is not familiar with you. And you can very quickly see with that what videos are working well for your core audience and what videos are good at attracting in new viewers right now. Once we get into like a, a average percentage viewed, average view duration, click through rate, I, I, you know, those to me are context. So usually that's my next stop because usually if something is terrible over there, it's going to reflect in your new and returning viewers. The algorithm is pretty good at not pushing out videos to a very wide audience. Um, if YouTube knows that people are not enjoying what they're watching. And that would be that kind of average view duration. So if you see that your views are low, it can be one of two things, right? It can be either that people are not clicking or it can be, and then it's a topic title thumbnail problem, right? Or it could be the content, pardon me, my French sucks, right? And I know it's something <laughs> we don't like to say, but there are times as we as creators put up bad content, it just happens, right? Uh, and there's things that we can learn from that. So in that case, then you go in and start looking at your click-through rates versus like your AVP and your AVD and identify where that problem is happening. Because the biggest problem I, I find a lot of creators make is they fix the wrong thing. They freak out about a video having low performance and they're like nobody everybody just hated like how I did my transitions in this video and no it wasn't like the you know the thumbnail was dark so they didn't click on it right um, and so you do all the stuff to fix your video when the video actually once people got into it they watched it they liked it it was the fact they wouldn't click on the thumbnail vice versa like maybe it was actually they they really liked the idea of the topic so you could probably do another video about this topic and be fine but you didn't execute in a way that they they connected with and they left early so it's important to know where your problems are so you can fix them correctly okay well, i'm going to add some some of my own takes on that but i also we have a random question i'm going to correct your spelling 30 day reviews unless you are french <laughs> Random question, does people saving videos have any effect on how much YouTube puts the video out to more people or not? So I assume that's saving to a playlist, Gwen Miller. Mm -hmm. Does, oh, does at, you, oh, what did you think it was, Shelly? Well, I was wondering if that means uh, either downloading for mm -hmm. offline viewing or um, right. saving it to, I guess a playlist would be the watch later playlist. So well, that's what I was yeah. there is a save button, but it's really a playlist button essentially. So let's say saving a playlist, 
does saving to a playlist help a video in the algorithm? Um, Gwen Miller. Uh, my guess with this is having a lot of conversations with YouTube about similar things, that this is probably going to fall into the category of things which only affects you. So by that, I mean, if you are doing activities on a video, uh, like you're liking it, you're sharing it, you're commenting on it. Uh, and I likely I would think probably saving to a playlist falls into that same category. Uh, YouTube understands what that means for you. So if you're the type of person who literally just saves every video come across to your watch later playlist, usually the YouTube algorithm will not like rank that very high for you. So like this person just saves everything. We're not going to use this as a influence into what we show you next. But if you're someone who rarely saves it to a playlist and it correlates with, you know, other signals of satisfaction that they get from other places, they're going to, the algorithm is smart enough to be like, oh, this is a high indicator for this per specific person. And that will affect what you're shown in the future. So it will affect the performance of the channel for you specifically, I think, more than it's going to make that specific video go viral because oh. you you told all your um, all your uh, your audience to go save it to a playlist. Don't do that. It, it, it'll backfire on you. The, the, the algorithm is pretty savvy at recognizing what activity actually correlates with that specific user's key indicators of satisfaction. Well, one of the things we really look at, and we certainly look at click-through rate in comparison to other click-through rates, but one of the things we just really want to know is the audience retention. And more than even percentage, we want to know how long it is, how long is the average person watching videos? Because even if they're not watching near the end, we feel that you know you can start upping the number of minutes per video and you just see people coming and they're not clicking off in the first, you know, 30 to 60 seconds, and they just keep wa on watching, I feel we've learned how to make an engaging video. And if we can, if we've demonstrated we can learn that, even if it's with a smaller audience, and I talk all the time on this podcast slash live stream about how sometimes it's just great to have the right viewers that just keep watching. And for, there's a lot of businesses that can do very well with just a few hundred views. This can sometimes mean hundreds of thousands of dollars of business uh, to that business yeah. if you get the right viewers. So if we can get people watching and not clicking off, we deliver them a good topic and they just don't leave for minutes and minutes and minutes. That's one of the things I really, it's very obvious to, to look at and say, you're dropping off, they're leaving. Uh, it doesn't always ring true because sometimes you have a video that explodes and does really well. And that means that your audience retention actually is going to be lower mm -hmm. because Google has said, hey, look at this great big video. Let's show it to all sorts of people who would not usually watch it and see which ones like it, which means you're definitely going to be showing it to people who happen to not like it. Right. Well, I have a little bit of a, a, a hack for that. So, and I ta I've talked to YouTube about refining this even better, but right now something you can do, if you have a video that really goes viral and you really like, geez, now I can't compare it to the rest of my videos in, ter in terms of retention because it's just not going to match, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you go into your advanced analytics and go to your uh, subscription status tab mm -hmm. and you're going to see subscribe versus unsubscribe. So go slower on this because this is very, yes. go start, Sorry, start again one sentence on back. <laughs> this is super 
super cool stuff you told me before, but you really have to say it slow. Yes. So remember when your vehicle's viral, You're not that slow. Dane, <laughs> not that slow. Uh, you're, it's going viral. The explosion in views is happening with unsubscribed people, right? It's happening with people have no, who have no idea who you are uh, when something goes viral. Now, the number of your core fans that are watching goes up as well, but there's just a finite amount of those people, so it doesn't skew things as much. So what I encourage you to do is go to the subscription status tab in your advanced analytics, and it will split out. AVP and average view duration for you between the two statuses, subscribed and unsubscribed. So if you look at that subscribed number, that average view duration, it's going to be a less cluttered, less messy, less noisy than the bigger number. And you can compare back then to your subscribed AVD on your other videos and get a much clearer perspective of whether this was like you were really keeping people the way you were keeping them mm -hmm. uh, without the clutter of all these random people who don't know you dropping off after 15 seconds. And Shelly saves the day. We talked about in a previous episode, a very special episode, we talked about how you decided to take thousands and thousands and thousands of views. Millions. Millions and thousands and millions of views. <laughs> yeah. And throw them away, right? We talk in this in this this particular live stream, we're talking about not all views are created equal. You decided they were almost worth nothing because you said, I don't want them anymore. How could someone who's gotten millions of views say no more? What caused you to go through that thought process? That's actually, I hadn't thought about it in that context, but yeah, I did. I privated uh, 250 videos and basically eradicated two and a half million views from my channel. And those videos are still getting views today. Now, it would be worth it for me to keep those videos up if I saw a really huge conversion in people buying my course, which is iMovie Made Easy to Learn How to Edit, because I wasn't making a ton from the tutorials. In fact, the RPM and CPM on it was fairly low, but I could make it up on the back end if people were actually purchasing my course as a digital product where I've already created it and it lives there and I can just make money um, from if people purchase it, that would be one thing. But if also people aren't purchasing um, that and I don't want to be necessarily known for that anymore because I'm moving on and doing other things, then I had to make the decision to take all of those views away and stop bringing traffic to a channel in a category I don't want views on. So now when people come to my channel, a lot of them see that I'm not making that same type of content and they're unsubscribing, which is for some people, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I've lost 250 people or something in the last couple of weeks. And for me, I'm like, great, I'm finding my people. And I had put, and I shared it at maybe somewhere, Instagram stories and with y'all about how even though my views have plummeted, which if that was the only way you were measuring success, you would say, oh wow, you're falling on your face and failing. But my RPM and CPM have dramatically increased because now I'm in other types of, um, categories and being shown different things. So it's actually still going to be beneficial for me. I could be making just as much money on a third of the views, which is still um, important because if, if it's just dollars and cents at the end of the day, then you could be like, wow, you're still making the same amount of money, even if you have 10% of the views that you had before. That's an interesting way you have to frame 
success and what does it mean to you and what are you actually using to measure it? Because for some people, they would just see, I've lost subscribers, I've lost views, I lost mm -hmm. all these things, and they would deem it a failure. But I am excited about it. Yeah, so that is just an entire change of strategy. And you just said, you know, that these were great when I had them and now I'm changing strategy. And the only way to really do that is to have those pre previous videos that you were known for removed. Now, when I work with businesses and managing their YouTube channels, I get this request a lot that I, it really frustrates me. And it's sort of like what you did. They say, hey, we did these videos three years ago, five years ago, please delete them. And that really, it just makes my skin just crawl because I'm like, no, you got the views, you got the subscribers, you got the people who are interested. And not to mention, you may have some people with some legacy products wanting to know what, you know, what was happening. Now, unless you have something that really is damaging to your brand, um, I recommend a different approach, which is doesn't solve the same problem as your approach. Now, if I was let's say Netflix, when they switched from being a DVD brand to a streaming brand, I would say, okay, yeah, go ahead and delete those things about how to rent DVDs because you don't do that anymore. Right. But what I actually recommend to most channels when they ask me this question is just make the videos unlisted, take them out of playlists, and then remove all the metadata. So I mean all the metadata. That is the title, the thumbnail, the, the, you know, any playlist they're in, all that. And so they may come up and search for a little while, but they're just, they're just nothing there. So people don't click on them. And so they gradually start to be hidden from the world. I would go one step farther and oh. private them instead of unlisted because unlisted videos can still show up in other people's playlists as long as they already have them in the playlist. Yeah. So one of the videos for me that is still getting or still was getting tons of views oh. was how to repair the bottoms of Louboutin shoes, which <laughs> ended up on some fashion channels um, because she does fashion stuff mm -hmm. and she has a ton of subscribers and I was like I'm still seeing views like what is happening what is going on and it's because other people have that video in their playlist and as unlisted right. it's still driving traffic to it sure. so I had to be like private no private that <laughs> video now um, I want to go back to that the very simple concept of audience retention and talk about why something that views there's a lot of views on a video, but we're like, you know what? People are just stopping watching a video. We see this a lot in some videos. I'll ask Gwen Miller this question. We see sometimes, not in any Gwen's videos, of course, but in some of the other videos, we see someone starting a video and then we see the audience retention drop like a stone. Mm -hmm. Or we might use the term a waterfall or a double black diamond ski slope. It just drops and people, they can't get out away from that video fast enough. Mm -hmm. I have a theory that the most important thing that causes that is they promise something in the title and thumbnail and they didn't deliver in that very, very first part of the video. And they said, I was promised this. I didn't get this. Would you agree with that, Gwen Miller? And if so, how do you go about pro fulfilling that promise in the short intro of the video? 
Okay, so when I see that 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 hockey stick, right, that you're talking about, that hockey stick retention, uh-huh. I will make a guess. It's one of the two things. One of them is the thing you said. The other one, which is equally as common, is if the audio is terrible. Oh, okay. So if they come into a video and it immediately hurts their ears to listen to people's brains cannot take that for very long and they're going to like exit out quickly and this is why i always say if you're going to invest in anything early invest in good audio don't worry we don't see the same effects from cameras we don't see the same effects from from lighting as much unless it truly is so dark that you're like squinting but it is a very strong effect with audio but Yes. The other most common thing that is happening is they've been promised something in the title. And there's some nuances here. Like you don't fully have to fulfill every promise in your title in the first 15 seconds. In fact, I encourage you not to. If you ruin all the suspense. So the example I always give, if your title is like, who was my first kiss? And you answer that question with like a single word answer in the first 15 seconds. What are they staying around for the rest of the video, right? But if you immediately start telling the story of your first kiss and that story takes 10 minutes, uh, then that will be fulfilling the promise, but keeping them, you know, uh, you know, in the flow of the video. And I know this is a terrible example because what business is going to put my first kiss up? But you get the point, right? Chapstick. They have to. <laughs> yes. Oh, chapstick. That could be a yeah. whole campaign. My first kiss or Tic Tacs or like breath mints. My first kiss. And there's all these horror stories about how it could have been better if they had better breath. See, Shelly, Shelly saves the day once again, for making any concept work for any business. <laughs> we could do it. Uh, we could do it. Yep. Yep. But yeah, does that answer your question, Dane? We should have that as a show one day, have like brands or businesses come in and we just like spitfire like, things out. Oh God, that's that all. Fun? That's all you. That all you, Shelly. I, I tend hilarious. to freeze. Well, in 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 the moment. <laughs> well, now let's let's think about this concept for because we can do this as a video. We just they won't be here. We'll just say the the brand, and we'll say what types of videos do we want to know for that brand. What would we like to see? So we could call it videos we'd like to see for your brand. We could just throw out, you know things what do you think campaigns that that need to be a thing chat chat room tell us if you like (laughs) tell us if you like that so shelly saves the day you make a lot of videos how do you keep people from leaving in that very first part because some of the best youtubers in the world will tell you that first 30 seconds that first 60 seconds that first two minutes is essential because if you can get people to watch for that long They've taken their hand off the mouse, off their thumb off the screen. They've done, they've removed their will to click. They want to stay. If you've delivered that value in the first part of the video, how do you keep them on and make those views very valuable? Mm. Oh, I was just thinking we need to call it the kiss and tell campaign, Gwen. Anyway, okay, sorry. I was actually going someplace else with a third reason why people um, jump off the cliff and they're out of there. And that is branded intros, especially businesses are Mm -hmm. so awful at this. I know that we talked about it when um, we were on the podcast before, like no one cares about your branded intro except for you or the person who like made it or paid for it. You know, Um, most people hate them. So just get over it. If you're going to have one, it'd be very itty bitty. But I think to Gwen's point, 
there's so much uh, misalignment when it comes to I need something of value and I need to know that I'm going to get it from this video. And if you're going to come in and then shoot the breeze for the first five, 10 minutes, people don't like that. So I would always, um, for a more important or um, for a, a more robust view, a real view, I would almost go with like a listicle style that at least is going to give them a few reasons why they want to watch. And mm -hmm. it promises that. And it also keeps in your head that, hey, if I'm going to say three reasons why you need to blink, you have to be able to do that. And so if you're going to give one away at the very beginning, it's one of three and they know that mm -hmm. they need to stick around for the rest. So that's um, I would ditch a branded intro. I would give a listicle style of what is going to be the benefit to the person instead of also building like three minutes of this is the problem that you're trying to solve because they already have the problem. They know the problem. They've defined the problem and they're looking for the solution. So you don't need to reiterate three, you know, like painting the picture of more of what the problem is. You want to provide the solution as quickly as possible. So that's what I would kind of go with. Shelly, could you just say that again? Because your hand motions were so good when you were saying the problem. You can't see me now, but <laughs> but you said, um, hold on, I'm going to show myself now. But you said the problem and you just like oh, these no, great. It just great fingers. It just happens. It just happens. If you are watching this live stream, just go back and play that again, that tiny bit, because Shelly just masterfully used just a few fingers to just sort of, I don't know what that was like space work or something. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I think I think actors call it space work. Um so, Dane, do you have mm -hmm. a secret past in the groundlings or some other improv troupe? Well, I do. I have taken some uh, over the past few years. I have taken one hour a week, many weeks to do improv. So, um, so it used to be in person at my co-working and then it went online. Uh, I really, really love it. It is. I'll tell you why I like it so much. It's a whole bunch of fun exercises and things but it really helps your listening because when you're doing this, it's not necessarily to be funny, but just to react. The really goal is apparently to react, not necessarily to be funny. And sometimes it is funny, but you really have to listen to the other person talking to, in order to react properly. And most of us, and I still do this, Sometimes we just want to hear ourselves talk and we wait for our turn to talk and we don't listen. But I really, really try. I try every day to listen better. Well, one of those are you rules. talking, Dane? Is it my turn to talk <laughs> exactly. yet? Exactly. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, one of those rules in improv is you're supposed to agree and then build, right? And you can't agree and then build if you weren't listening to what you're supposed to be agreeing or building on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great skill. Now, if you weren't listening and you ever hear me on somebody else's podcast and my brain sort of starts thinking about something else and I get asked a question, either I have no clue what the answer is or I wasn't listening, I will respond with an answer that says, well, that's an interesting question, but I think the more important thing to think about <laughs> is. Yep. yep. And, and then I can say whatever I want. <laughs> What uh, I'm afraid of there, though, is because I do that because you're way better at listening than I am, Dane, because I am in my head all the time. But I'm afraid that if I do that, I will then say something that someone already said. Yes. Well, what sort of... if there is someone else already raised that point? You know, the, the brilliant the... minds in this room, it often happens. <laughs> 
the challenge with doing uh, a podcast and, or managing a live stream like this is you're half listening, you're half thinking about what the next question you're going to ask, and then you're switching. So ideally, or or making sure monitoring, does the audio sound good? Do you need to cough? Do you need to switch to these different screens? Checking the so it's it's it. It's a challenge, but people who do live streams, you know, it's it's a adopt, it's a learnable skill. But I wanted to get back. But the real important question that I want to ask <laughs> is: I want to talk about uh, how we approach getting people to watch a business video and not click off. Okay, so just want to talk about the things that we do and yeah. advise people to do. So we talk. We have a title. And we have a thumbnail, right? So, so a lot of people say the view begins with the title and the thumbnail. Would you guys agree with that concept? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, okay. it's Not the first convinced. thing that you see. Not convinced <laughs> yet. All right. But let's say it does. Let's say the click is the first thing, part of the view. Well, one of the things we do is like in the first second, we make the lower third like a short version of what's in the title. So like if it's how to count your pennies and nickels and dimes, we will put in the lower third the text, pennies, nickels, dimes, right? So people go, well, I was I was going to do this. I, I'm being promised this. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's real basic, but we just put that text there. And then um, we want someone to start talking in the first 0.1 second of the yes. video. So, so if key. someone takes a breath... Well, here we are. That's not short enough. It has to be, well, here we are. Yep. And they have to be on camera looking at the screen, looking at the camera. The person has to be on camera speaking in that first one-tenth of a second. And sometimes, often, usually, we actually want them not to be in an establishing shot. And if you're looking at me, I'm an establishing shot right back here. You can see me from the waist to my head. No, I want their, I want to get up in their grill right in the very first shot. Then you can go back to the establishing shot later, but I want to get up in their grill in the very first one second. Um, and then there's a lot of other things like what we do is, you know, at around three seconds, we want to go to a B-roll that sort of previews what we're going to do and talk about. Um, like, for instance, we used to work with a company that made this great anti-rust um, product. And we say, we're going to turn this into this. And we're going to mm -hmm. show you how. So these show you hows are great. And you guys really know show you hows even better than I do, the more practical things. Uh, so those are some of the things we do. And then we also, we always say the word you at least once in the first sentence and several times in the first few seconds because the we did this study with TubeBuddy a few years ago. We looked at 30,000 videos. We're, when you say the word you or yours or yourself or y'all in the first sentence, first couple sentences, videos always do better because people are engaged. They're like, well, it's for me. Oh, he's, he's talking to me. I'll stick around. This is great. I was looking for something for me. They don't want it. Hey. hey, guys. Hey, you guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> Yeah. And that's why things like in this video, I'm going to show you how to fix mm -hmm. your car. I've actually said the word you twice. Wow. They really want to help me. Um, I wanted to ask Gwen Miller, what are some of those things? Now, I know you've said in the past, 
you you actually don't want to show the whole cake already made because that actually is bad. So what do you, let's say I'm baking a cake. I'm showing you how to bake a cake. It's a fancy cake no one's ever seen before. How do you tease it in B-roll without showing what that cake's going to look like? I think, and it also depends exactly what you're trying to do, right? Like, if it truly is something like, you know, I'm going to show you how to make a spaghetti bolognese. Like, it's usually, you know, and it's not exactly like, you know, a spectacular reveal. Oftentimes, putting in that the thumbnail will increase click-through because people are looking for spaghetti bolognese recipes, right? But say you're doing, I'm going to attempt like a confetti cake. I've never done a confetti cake. So really the journey here is, oh my God, she's going to attempt something she's never done before. I want to be long. I want to see what it looks like in the end. In that case, I probably wouldn't reveal that early on in, in the story. What I would do is probably show early on in the video, like here's what I'm trying to do. Here is a picture off of Google images of the confetti cake that I'm trying to duplicate. Am I going to be able to do it? And then you're building up to that, right? That big reveal shot at the end, which then has your confetti cake come up and it's all like, you know, fallen in on itself. Like that is the big reveal. So think what's the purpose of your video and how do I do progressive revealing to have the maximum impact for this specific video? Shelly, how do you do your intro? What do you do in your intro to make sure that people are still engaged and, and keep that audience retention high for the first part? Well, back when I made tutorials, I don't know why, but people really enjoyed a certain format which was like today i'm going to show you how to do blank and then you have to demonstrate that you've done blank and if you want to learn how to do blank then make sure you're watching because i'm going to show you how to do it or something like that so it's like you had to tell them you had to show them then you had to teach them and then you had to like recap it at the end be like now you do it and tell me how it went or something like that so it was very almost methodical with how to do something like that is that is that format too old does it still work uh, don't have to tell them as much now with show them because um they already have like i said before they already have kind of figured out what their problem is they're just looking for the solution now so the shorter that you can make it um the easier it is for them to think that there's a lot of value in watching you so i think I, for a lot of people i think that's what they're trying to do is provide value so. with, with your new videos is that is that similar you're using a similar approach or are you changing oh, no, the format goodness. <laughs> Right now, I'm actually running an experiment where I'm doing a whole bunch of shorts. So I'm taking it down to as much as I can, um, as short of information time box as possible to still give them a bite-sized snippet of something that might be valuable to them. And I'm hoping to get then out there and get the exposure in the shorts shelf to be starting to build my credibility and um, knowledge base for people viewing for, um, for them to almost know me as something else. Not the iMovie girl, but a YouTube type of person or talking about creator economy type of person. And I want that exposure. So they become curious to come into my channel. So that's a new strategy that I'm working on right now. That sounds great. And, and Gwen Miller, we've talked about the sort of uh, just throw a whole bunch of content in a new channel. Shelly sort of got a new channel is shorts. A, I know that, you guys don't do as much on the various lifestyle channels, do as many shorts, but does YouTube yeah. say shorts can do that same thing as the longs? 
Uh, look, uh, we can have we should do an entire episode on shorts, Dane, because okay. it is such a mess right now. It is such mm-hmm. a contentious thing within the creator sphere. Mm-hmm. It is there's so many unintended consequences with this launch with YouTube trying to mix it in with the rest of their content. And there's a lot of things that uh, need to get fixed. And I, what was your original question, actually? Because I just went shorts. Oh, my God, it's crazy. And then forgot what you asked me. The, the, the answer is it doesn't matter because you always need to answer the question you wanted to be asked, not the question that was asked. That's the, that's the number one rule of interviews. Never answer the question that was asked. Answer the question you wanted to be asked. I need to learn to more asked. from politicians, right? Like, I know you asked this question. I want to talk about the economy, right? It works. It works. And you know what? Just because somebody asked you a question in life, doesn't mean you have to answer them. There's no law that says you have to answer any question. So if you don't want to answer it, don't answer it. Answer the question you wanted but to it's answer. it's not that I don't want to answer it. I literally, to our earlier conversation, heard the word shorts, went, oh, and then ignored what you said after that. What you said was so much more valuable. It was so much oh, more great, valuable. Great, great, perfect. So, what was it that we should do an entire episode about shorts and the so, benefits and uh, detractions of it right now? Well, the, we've already outlined the two next episodes on this video. The one was about shorts and the other was we create uh, YouTube topics for your brand. So we're going yeah. to need a lot of help from the chat in that in those episodes also. But uh, Gwen Miller, how can people find you until we convene again next week? Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. I know that makes me a boring business person, but what? all my favorite industry people are on there. So it's a great place just to have discussions about you know industry trends and what's happening specifically in the analytics world. And Shelly Saves the Day, how can people find out more about you and what this new channel of shorts is? Uh, come to my YouTube channel, Shelly Saves the Day, and interact with me on Twitter under Shelly Saves the. And Amazon, where you're dominating, tell us where we can find you there. <laughs> yeah, amazon.com forward slash shop slash Shelly Nathan. All right. That's a mouthful. And I'm Dane Golden from the Video Marketing Business Academy. You can find me uh, on the podcast. It's called videomarketingvalue.com, and this, this episode will be on there. Or if you can find it on the VidiUp channel, V-I-D-I-U-P. And hey, if you ever need consulting for your business, go to talktodane.today. You can book a, a call with me. So until next week, here's to helping you help your customers through video.